First off, as a, just a PSA, I, I learned that if you have like one of those fitness watches and you play drums, you can kill your steps today. I just, <laughs> just a little note there. But you know, I, I love the Christmas season. I love this time of year. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the ornaments on the trees. I love the fact that you can turn on TV or go to the mall and you hear like, like famous singers singing songs about Jesus. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that is really amazing in this day and age. I know a few years ago, I was on sabbatical, and Eric and I, we decided to take the kids out to California for Christmas. Instead of exchanging gifts, we went to Legoland, went to the San Diego Zoo, went to the San Diego Wild Animal Park, and then we found ourselves at SeaWorld on Christmas Eve. And it was fabulous. I mean, again, all the lights, all the decorations, Everything dressed up. The kids got to do face painting and Christmas arts and crafts and pictures with Santa. But on Christmas Eve, as we were kind of walking around SeaWorld, we learned that there was going to be a Christmas Eve service that night. Now, knowing, you know, Southern California is not the hotbed of conservative Christian uh, morals or values, I was kind of curious about what this would be. I mean, was it a Christmas Eve service singing Run Run Rudolph and Jingle Bells? I mean, I was more kind of like curious about how this would turn out. So we walked around, saw some of the shows, and then we went to where they were having the uh, Christmas Eve service, and it was at the Orca Pavilion. And so they set up the stage at the back of this whale tank, and then the musicians came out and the singers, and I was blown away. These are like L.A.-quality musicians with Broadway-type singers all dressed up in you know their, their Charles Dickens garb, and they were singing real Christmas songs. Oh, come all ye faithful, joy to the world, oh, holy night. I was like, oh, man, I did not expect this at all. But then it got better. Because I, I really can't put into words what it's like to be singing these songs and seeing, and heaven and nature will sing, and heaven and nature will sing when there's orca wells doing flips in the air. <laughs> I mean, it's ruined me for Christmas Eve ever since. I mean, you know, I kind of went in with low expectations, but it just blew me away, the expectations that I had, that, that what it did. You know, and that's how life is sometimes, especially this time of year. We have expectations. How's Christmas going to turn out? What about the gifts? The dinner's got to be perfect. Are we going to have to go to that house or this house? There's a lot of expectations around life and Christmas and even Christmas Eve services. I can't tell you the number of Christmas Eve services I've been to that felt more like a funeral than a celebration. I didn't know what was going on. But then sometimes you go and you are surprised. You know, 2,000 years ago, there was this expectation of Messiah, the one who would come and save the Jewish people, the Israel people. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue on in this Jesus series as we're going to look at Jesus as the Jedi. I mean Messiah. Sorry. I'm watching this afternoon, so if you ruin it for me, there'll be a reckoning. But we're looking at Jesus as the Messiah. And this Messiah is a challenging phrase or word to understand and to unwrap, especially in this day and age. Because it's either a word you grew up with in church, and you don't really, the, the meaning's kind of been lessened, or it's a word that you have no connotation for. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is unwrap not only what this word Messiah means in our own lives, but what does it mean this time of year, and how should we use this word as we live out our lives the rest of the year? 
So the first thing we'll look at this morning is the explanation. What is the definition of this word Messiah? You know, especially as followers of Christ. And this is kind of the deep end of the pool. I know as Mark talked about a few weeks ago. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know who Jesus is, just kind of follow through with us as we, as we unwrap this and see what it means. So if we look at the definition, and you can, if you have an app on your Bible or on your phone, you can look up in your dictionary the word Messiah. And there's two definitions of Messiah. One is the promised and expected deliverer of the Jewish people. And the second one is Jesus Christ, regarded by Christians as fulfilling this promise and expectation. Now, in the context of our society, I find it interesting in the secular kind of definition and context, the Messiah is not a common word in our vernacular. And it's not a um, secular word. It is a Christian word. It is a religious word defining one individual. If we look at that from a, a biblical standpoint, a biblically historical standpoint, the word Messiah actually means Christ. If we look at the Hebrew word, it means anointing or the anointed one. If we look at the Greek word, the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And that's what an interesting fact here, because this word did not come by human thought. It is a word that comes from divine application. And it applies to one person. We see this definition, this moniker, somewhat defined in a certain scene as an angel comes to Mary to further define and explain who this is she's carrying. And this is a scene where an angel comes to Mary, and they're having this conversation. And it's in Luke, 29, Luke 1, 29-33. And it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of the greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have been found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We see there kind of a definition of an angel saying, yeah, I know you've heard all these things about who the Messiah is, but this is who you're going to carry. This is who you're going to raise, is this individual. And so that's kind of the definition to starting out what this word Messiah means that we're looking at. The second thing we're going to look at is the expectation of what the Messiah was. As we saw in that definition, he fulfilled an expectation. Because we all have expectations, again, about life, about Christmas, about how things should turn out. I remember vividly, vividly, when I was four years old, we were living in Arvada, Colorado, and we always had this tradition on Christmas Eve, we got to unwrap one gift under the tree. And I spent all Christmas Eve just looking at those gifts, because my mom wouldn't let me touch anything. But I was looking at this gift, and I, and I found this one gift for me that was kind of oddly shaped. I couldn't figure out what it was, and it bugged me all day. And so we get dressed, we go to the Christmas Eve service, have to suffer through that at four years old, go, come on, let's sing these songs when I get home. So we sing the songs, come home, I change clothes, we sit behind the, you know, around the Christmas tree, and since I'm the youngest, I sit there and watch my two older sisters kind of get their gifts and sort of unwrap them. And then, you know, finally it comes to me, and I, I get my gift, and I slowly start unwrapping it. You know, just kidding, I ripped it off. I was four into my, not horror, I'd unwrapped a four-pack of tube socks. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it was a 70s, so cut me some slack, but they were nice tube socks, but they were tube socks. Man, was my life and expectations of what Christmas Eve was going to be like completely changed. But that's how it is sometimes. You know, we um, don't always understand, and our, the, the actual events don't always meet our expectations. And this is what it comes to Christ. We're going to look at two different aspects of this expectation. One is historical, and one is personal. So from a historical standpoint, the Messiah was prophesied for over 700 years before he came in the writings in the Old Testament. And it's all throughout this, that point from pretty much Isaiah on that we hear about a coming Messiah. If you grew up in a Jewish household, you either would have heard this read in the temple. It would have been something you, you heard your parents talked about or family talked about. It would have been somewhat common knowledge. But if we look at Scripture... And I'm going to go through a bunch here. Um, don't turn to your Bibles because it'll be exhausting. But if you want these scriptures later, you just come and let me know. But if we just look in Isaiah, we see the proclamation of the birth by a virgin. We see a wise, all-knowing, ruling son of David, the fruitful branch who would bring redemption, restoration, and blessing in life. It was Isaiah who proclaimed that the Messiah was to be the light to the Gentiles, the suffering, exalted one. The Messiah was the great comforting preacher of freedom and healer of bringing of joy. In Micah, we see that he would come through the line of David and be the shepherd to his people and bring them security. Amos talks about the proclaimed Messiah coming through the line of David and would fulfill Yahweh's covenant promise to the nations. Jeremiah talks about the coming from David, who was to be the king of righteousness. Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all talk about this coming king this coming Messiah. If we look specifically at one passage in Isaiah 9, 5 through 7, we see this more expanded out just for context here. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of his peace, There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is massive, folks. This is numerous people across numbers of years all talking about the same thing, and it came true. You know, even if they all got together in the same place at the same time and said, hey, we should write this story. Even if that came true, 700 years later, that's phenomenal. That is amazing. The coming Messiah is difficult to grasp in the word Messiah in our modern times because it's been diminished. We don't have much relevance to the power of this one word. Because when you think about across all mankind, all that's been accomplished by men throughout the history of man, how high we've gone, how far we've gone, how deep we've gone, how fast we've gone. You think about the titles we've accomplished in ruler and presidents and kings, millionaires, billionaires, trillionaires. If you think about all these positions and titles, eventually someone else will come along and replace it. They're not unique. Someone else will take over and, and be faster, be stronger. Because it fades away after time. It would be like, hey, Clayton and Maria, come up here. 
Here, you can take this and stand over here. And Clayton. All right, so this is whatever you want for Christmas that you've been wanting for a long time. And you finally unwrap it, and it's awesome. But you're probably not going to play with it or use it much past New Year's, let alone February. And the worst thing is, you go out, you talk with all your friends, and they all got the same thing. How do you feel now? I'm not, not particularly special. Not special. <laughs> Perfect. I couldn't have prompted him to do that better. It's not unique. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing that, that, it, that really makes it stand out. It's just common. But this package Marie is holding is far beyond unique. It is one of a kind. If she lost it, she could never replace it. And the thing about it is, even though she can hold it in her hands, she's not even worthy of unwrapping it. Not even worthy of receiving it. Nothing personal. It's just the context. <laughs> it is just the fact that it's all unique. And even the fact that you can give it to you, you don't deserve what's being given to you. Because there is nothing else like it. There is nothing else in this world that compares to what you're holding in your hand. But despite all that, it's yours. It is yours, even though you don't deserve it, even though you don't know completely what it is, or even how to explain it to other people. It is yours. And that, you can sit down now. You can keep those. There's nothing in them, but you can keep them. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So that is a really bad analogy of kind of what this word Messiah means. Because the uniqueness cannot even be described, I think, in our humanly terms and comprehend what it means. But that was, is kind of what the historical expectation of Christ was, that he would fulfill a certain need. And that turns us into the personal expectation. Now, what if I told you, you know, with all the mess going on in the world and wars and crime and all these bad things happening, what if I told you there's going to be a Messiah come and he was going to clean up this mess? Yeah, yeah that's what you would think. <laughs> We would think, great, that someone's finally going to come and give us some senility and purpose and commonality and kind of clean all this mess up. And that kind of earthly kingdom attitude of, of cleaning up our little kingdoms was what the Jewish people had 2,000 years ago. They wanted someone to come and clean up the mess that they were in. So for, for time and time again, the Jewish people were in this mess under Roman rule in Jerusalem, mainly because they their own problems. They caused it all themselves. They continuously and constantly disobeyed God, and they suffered for it, even though time and time again you had judges and prophets say, stop it, or this is going to happen. And they kept on doing it, kept on doing it. I've been, I was reading in Amos this week, because it was part of the yearly you know, walk through the Bible plan, and man, go read it. Holy cow. Like time and time again, he's going, I told you not to do this, but you did it, and this happened. I told you not to do this, you did it, and this happened. I told you not to do it, you did it, and this happened. Like verse after verse after verse. And this is where they find themselves. Disobeying God, being exiled, finally coming back to Jerusalem. Now they find themselves under Roman rule, and they want someone to come and restore them and the temple in Jerusalem to their rightful place. That's the Messiah that they're looking for. And that was their general expectation of what would happen. But even still, with all that coming up to the point of 
the end of the Old Testament, there's about 500 years of silence. The prophets didn't speak. God didn't speak. And this is where they found themselves and their own personal expectations of, we need you to clean this mess up. And that was their expectation of who the Messiah would be. So now that we understand the explanation and expectation, let's look at the experience of the Messiah. What's it like to come face to face with the one who was, who is, and who forever shall be? There's several instances in the Bible where there's some encounters. People experience the Messiah or revealed, the Messiah revealed himself to them in amazing ways. Now, I think that one of the more fascinating ones is in Mark 2. And this is a, a, a section where there's a man named Simeon. And Simeon, they, we know, is a righteous and holy man. But we also know that uh, he was told from somewhere or the other that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And the fact is that Jesus was about two years old at this time. Nothing special, just another little kid, didn't do anything, miracles yet that we know of, yet he was recognized as the Messiah. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple, and it's for the consecration of Jesus, which is a common practice of the Jewish with the first male child born, to take him to the temple to be blessed and consecrated. And this is what we find in Luke 2, uh, 29 through 35. This is... uh, Simeon talking about this experience he has with the Messiah. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, which would have been kind of somewhat blasphemy, but also goes back to one of the passages we read before from the historical context. For the glory of your people Israel... And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to the fulfillment rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from the many hearts may be revealed. Man, when Dylan was born, my first thought when, when someone looked at him would be like, I hope, I hope he's not an ugly child. I hope someone says that he's at least decent looking. I couldn't imagine someone coming and saying that as I'm holding my child. But this was the blessing of a recognition of the Messiah in this young child from Simeon. We see another incident later in Jesus' ministry where he already had been kind of going around healing and teaching. And this is with the Samaritan woman. It's a familiar story in John 4. And in this place, so Jesus is talking to this woman that you really wouldn't talk to unless you had less than pure reasons. She'd been married multiple times. She wasn't even living with her, her husband at this point. She was living with another man. Yet there's this encounter with this woman who, who really, by no logical explanation, should be in Scripture. Yet at a point that is revealed that Jesus is the Messiah. So let's look at this. It's John four twenty five and 26. It says, The woman said to him, they, they've had this conversation going on, and she, I guess a light goes off in her head about what he's talking about. And he goes, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He'd been revealing this stuff to her, and she goes, yeah, he's going to tell us all this stuff. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. What an amazing experience. And it changed her life. She goes back into town and starts telling you, you've got to come hear this dude. <laughs> 
I mean, it is crazy. And she becomes a witness in her own town, a town that really doesn't think highly of her. What an amazing experience to have with the Messiah. The interesting thing about life is we love experiences. Like I talked about earlier, taking our kids to Southern California for Christmas, they remember that more than any gift we've ever given them. One of the great things about millennials is that they would rather have experiences rather than buying a house or taking a, or having a more flexible job because they want to be able to have those experiences over accumulating stuff or consuming stuff. And we're seeing this idea catch on even with the older generation. They're downsizing in order to, so that they can spend more time with their families. And even this time of year, there's been recent studies that one article I read uh, this past week, it said almost 7 out of 10 people would give up giving gifts or exchanging gifts this holiday season if their family and friends agreed to it. 7 out of 10. So let that be a lunchtime conversation with the family, especially with you with little kids. Let's see what they say. Uh, it says 60% of more than 2,000 people surveyed online said they'd rather spend time with family and friends than purchase unneeded or probably unwanted gifts at times. That's pretty phenomenal. The irony is, is that followers of Christ, during this kind of renaissance period we're in, how little we're giving ourselves time to experience the Messiah. We get to come to church and we can experience, you know, a sermon. We can experience worship. But what are we doing to experience the Messiah, the power of the Messiah in our own lives? For Simeon, he waited patiently his whole life to experience the Messiah in that temple. And even later on in Mark 2, we read about Anna, who waited patiently in the temple and fasted and prayed in order to experience the Messiah. That's what it truly means to understand that word. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is not only how we want to experience the Messiah, but what are we doing actively to experience the Messiah? And how would we react in the moment of experiencing the power of what the Messiah means when it comes to Jesus? Are we truly ready to give up something, or maybe everything, in order to experience the power of the one who laid down his lives so that we could live eternally with him? So the last thing we're going to look at is going to be enlightened. How does that message, how does that power, how does that me- uh, the word Messiah enlighten our lives to the point of transformation? In this day and age, we have a lot of information, don't we? We have almost 100,000 words a day cross our eyes or ears in some form or fashion. Whether it be, you know, the internet, news, um, social media, music, billboards, magazines, uh, the, you know, accessing information is not our problem, is it? Trying to figure out what to do with it is. Because think about all the information you access in a, in a day, how much of that is actually changing your life? How much of that is actually transforming how you live your life. If you think about it, you could probably eliminate about 75% of what you consume, and you really wouldn't notice it in the difference. We consume so much information that it kind of changes the way we acknowledge and see everything in our lives. Because how do we let that information change our lives? How do we let it purely kind of dig in on a day-to-day level and make a difference in what we're consuming? You know, if we believe that Jesus Christ came down to earth in the form of a man to fulfill a prophecy of the Messiah, then that information, the entire 
Bible itself to change every aspect of our lives. It should enlighten us to the point of being transformed for his purpose. This is big information, big transformation. The whole idea of the Messiah was the purpose of the entire gospel message. If we look in John 20, 31, we see that John writes, he says, but these are written, these are written that you may believe in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a two-part process of believing not in Jesus, but believing that he is the Messiah and fulfilled this unbelievable prophecy, and we believe so that we can have an abundant, extraordinary life. But if most of us are honest, if we ask the question, if I ask you the question, hey, how are you doing? What are some of our typical answers? Good. What else? Just fine. What? Hanging in there. Living the dream. We just don't know what that dream is. <laughs> you know, a lot, of t- a lot of people surveyed, when they ask that question, they say, I'm surviving. I'm surviving. You know, they're, they're just trying to survive some circumstance in their life. They're trying to survive some day. They're trying to survive just life in general. And let me be clear with you. If you've been sleeping up to this point, just kind of wake up and listen. <laughs> because Jesus Christ did not come to earth as a man get beaten, hung on a cross for your sins so that we could just survive life. So that we can just get by and see how things turn out. We have to understand that he came so that we would believe he is the Messiah so that he could give us life and not just any life, an abundant life. He didn't come as the Messiah so we could survive. He came so that we could thrive, not in our circumstances, but regardless of our circumstances. And that's the power of the Messiah. And let me tell you about what this means to me in my life at this moment. The interesting thing about uh, this week and preaching this week, and you know, God has a, always has a different plan than I do. <laughs> but So on Tuesday, I marked 20 years from a surgery that left me in chronic pain. Every day of my life, living in overwhelming pain that distracts me from almost everything I do. 20 years every day. Pain that I've sometimes cursed God with. Pain that he has chosen not to heal me from for his purpose and his reason. And even though I don't understand it, even though I've cursed him, even though I've been on my knees asking why, the the reality of it and the reality you have to understand is that... Jesus is a Messiah, whether I'm in pain or not. Jesus is a Messiah, whether I'm cursing God or not, because of my pain. He is Messiah regardless of my circumstances, not because of my circumstances. Because if you're like me, how many times have I let my circumstances dictate how I feel about God? But how I feel about the Messiah. Another interesting time is as many of you know we had a fire at our house a couple weeks ago and even though the fire wasn't bad the smoke is was bad and so we're at a point like we don't know we're going to be in our house uh we're going to be out of our house like four to six months 
you know, we, we kind of think we have a place to live right now, but this time of year, we don't know what Christmas is going to look like. We don't know kind of what we're going to be doing or, or how anything is going to kind of plan out. I don't know if my clothes still smell like I've been roasting s'mores all night or I put on too much cologne to cover that up. Either way, I'm sorry. <laughs> or I might be wearing these clothes tomorrow too, so I don't know. But that's kind of the reality of where we are in a time of year where you want to know what's happening. But when I look at that, when I look at that circumstance, when I look at Jesus' work on the cross as Messiah, it doesn't matter. It is a minor, minor inconvenience to his work on the cross. And that's powerful. That is powerful to think, and it's easy to stand up here and tell you all that. We'll see what I'm like in a couple weeks. But that's the truth of who Jesus is and who he is as the Messiah. Jesus' fulfillment of a long-foretold prophecy with all these things that people talked about would happen, even by the most sophisticated experts, is extremely complex to comprehend. That all these things were prophesied 700 years ago happened when Jesus came and filled that one specific role of all times to be the Messiah. And if we truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then that should be change everything that we do. So for your challenge this week, as you leave here, because this is heavy, heavy stuff to understand, especially, you know, we're getting up to the last week of Christmas. You got a lot to do. Men, better get your wife something. Just warned you right now. There's a lot going on. So I challenge you as, you as you go to parties, as you raise toast, if you get with family, as you maybe decorate or listen to Christmas songs, but most specifically as you're unwrapping your gifts, I want you to think about the greatest gift ever given this time of year in the Messiah. And if you truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, how that should dramatically change how you live your life and how you are going to live your life. Because regardless of what you're thinking right now, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, of family, of pain, of finances, of what's going on, Jesus is still Messiah, regardless of where you are. And that does change everything. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you uh, just for the unbelievable gift you gave in the Messiah, Lord. Um, something that we, we really can't even comprehend. But you did it in such a unique, powerful way. I just pray that we could comprehend what this means in our own lives. That the power of the word Messiah would change how we live our lives, how we view life, how we view others, and, and most importantly, how we view our circumstances, God. Because you still are in control, and you desperately want us to live an abundant life in your name. I thank you for all these things, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Don't forget to stick around. We'll have a little meeting afterwards, but otherwise, have a great week.